Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Great to see you today. Thank you for being so loud and friendly to your neighbors. That's really fun and cool. Uh, my name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great privilege to welcome you to worship this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Thanks for joining us as well. If you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church, you can certainly do that by communicating with us. And one of the ways in which you communicate with us is by taking one of those communication cards that you can find on the seat back in front of you. Let us know that you're here. And if you have some free time afterwards, uh, drop by the Welcome Center. Let us know that you're here. Give us that communication card, and we have a free gift for joining us today. For those of you joining us online, if you could go to our website at vlchurch.com and click on that banner that says, Are You New Here?, and fill out the form that you see on your screen, and we will connect with you after you fill out that form sometime this week. But indeed, thank you for joining us as well. I do have a few reminders for you and one announcement today. The first reminder is that next Sunday, November 12th, we'll be having an opportunity for many of you to get baptized. And so we're really excited about that. We've had a lot of people that have already responded to let us know that they want to give their lives to Christ and be immersed into Him. And so if you haven't made a decision yet, and you're on the fence, and you think this is something that you need to do, take action today. You can still get signed up. The way that you do that is by going to our website and clicking on the banner that says Get Baptized and filling out that form, or you can just call us at the church office. We'd love to dunk you next week. That would be really cool. And so uh, let us know if that's uh, a next step that you want to take. Also, I want to remind you of the fact the following Sunday, November 19th, we will have our next baby dedication Sunday during both services. And so if you have a little one that you'd like to have dedicated to the nurture and admonition of God's plan for their lives, we invite you to register for this event same way. Go to our website, click on the banner, or you could call the church office to let us know that you'd like to participate uh, in this event as well. Last but not least, we have our next installment of Growth Track. That's going to be starting um, Thanksgiving weekend on that Sunday, Sunday, November 26th. And so if you're relatively new to Victory Life Church and you'd like to plug in and learn more, this is the way to do it. And so the way that you sign up is clicking on the banner on our website or letting us know. You can call us the church, call the church office and let us know, and we'd love to have you there. Well, that's all I have this, this morning in the way of announcements. And so if you've come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings you can uh, text to give, you can give online, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. I do have one reminder. Today is the first Sunday of the month, and for those of you that are prepared to give to our benevolence ministry, now is your opportunity to do so. So thanks. Um, so if I could ask you to stand this morning, we're going to bow for a word of prayer before we enter into worship today. Let's pray together. God in heaven, what a privilege to be in this place to worship you. Our prayer and our heart's desire is simple. May your kingdom come and your will be done here at Victory Life Church as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. fun as we worship this morning. There's nothing wrong with that, I promise you. I praise in the valley, I praise on the mountain, I praise when I'm sure, I praise when I'm doubting, I praise when I'm numbered, yeah, I praise 
God showed his love for us in this, that Christ laid down his life for us. That's his love. And his perfect love is casting out all fear today. Not just fear of the darkness, not just fear of things that we can see around us, 
but fear of the spiritual things and the things God would have us do. Sometimes when we're sitting in this service right now, we'll hear a word from the Lord and fear creeps into our heart and says, you don't have to move. You don't have to change. When the Lord is pulling on you and saying, come on, come on, let's do something. Sometimes that happens in this very room. That's the kind of fear we're talking about today. But I want to encourage you that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And right now we're going to declare that love over us. And it's casting out fear. So let's sing that together. Our fear doesn't stand a chance when we stand in his love. tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken Cause my fear doesn't stand a chance when I
stand on you, Jesus. You are our rock. You are our strength. We praise you today. Lord, you have done great things on behalf of your people. You showed us your love through the cross. And Lord, sometimes we come in and we deal out our offerings to you and we weigh them in light of all the other things that we praise in this world. But if we're still weighing out our offerings. We haven't seen your worth yet. But Lord, you are so worthy. You gave your all for us. You gave us a perfect life and a perfect sacrifice and a resurrection that we can be resurrected with as well. Lord, show us your worth today. And as we see that and remember it, may we pour out our love on you. May we be able to speak truthfully from our hearts and boldly from our hearts that we love you. We're not just here to have our ears tickled, Lord. We're not just here to be pleased by songs that we like or songs we don't like or a message that we like or a message we don't like. We're not just here for that. We're here for you today because of what you've done for us. So I pray this morning, God, that our words would not be wasted, but that way would be poured out to you, to your ears, and to your heart, and that you would be blessed as we declare, we love you. We love you. Jesus, it's yours. I just. 
no love like yours, Lord. None in all the earth. None in all the earth. I'll never find another love like you. It's true. I'll never find another love like you. Can we just tell him that this morning? You can just close your eyes and just sing that unto him. I'll never find another love like you. Freed my from my past, Lord. So we sing to you. I'll never find another love like you. Who else took the nails for me? And I'll never find another love like you. Who else took the crown for me? Bore it on Calvary. I'll never find another love like you who else laid down in the tomb and was raised to life again I'll never find another love like you freed me from my sin brought me back to life again I'll never Only because you loved us first do we express our love to you today, Lord Jesus. We didn't move towards you, you moved towards us. We didn't seek you out, you sought us out. We didn't offer forgiveness, you offered forgiveness. We couldn't offer hope, but you came to earth to bring it. We will never find another love like you. And when we see you face to face, with every knee bowed and every tongue confessing that you are Lord to the glory of the Father, we will recognize that we are alive in you far more than we can even recognize it today. More in love with you than we can recognize here having on this mortal coil. Oh, Lord, you did tell us that to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength was the greatest commandment. And I pray, Lord, in this place we would obey your command to love you with our all, to not be ashamed to speak the name of Jesus, and thank you for all that you've given. We bless and praise your name today, Lord. And as we go to learn from your word today, we recognize that you are Lord, but also the one who has loved us first, most, and best. We thank you for all these things in your matchless name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, welcome once again to Victory Life Church this morning. 
I'm Pastor Matt. So glad to have you worshiping with me. Definitely not every Sunday. Let's just make this a habit. If we do this from now on until eternity, church will always feel better. And so I, I enjoyed that extra hour. Hey, uh, young disciples, you may be dismissed at this time to go on down the hall. I'm excited about the passage that you're going to be in this morning. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to get there as well. It's not going to be our main passage today, but it will be yours. And I'm excited about everything that the kiddos have. Sorry that I wasn't with you for all of worship this morning. I was down the hall in our new members class as we're welcoming so many who have gone through growth track and now want to make VLC their church home. And so we're excited about that. And so that's where I was this morning. And, uh, but I'm glad to be back here with you. If you've got your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn in them to John chapter 13, a portion of the book of John that we've spent a lot of time in over these past nine weeks. We have been talking about the aspects of a fully formed disciple. What does it look like to truly be someone who is, you know, has done the work and is the person that Jesus commands us to be? And that's what we're focusing on this year. We've talked about a loving relationship with the people we do life with, our church. We've talked about a personal relationship with Jesus. And then last week, we spoke about the character of Christ, and that's where we're going to be this week again. We talked about the character of Christ being forgiveness, forgiveness incarnate, and that those shocking words from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, being the background for all forgiveness that he calls us to. I got great feedback on the message from last week from so many of you. Some of you said things like, I hate you. And others said things like, why would you do that to me? Others said, why would you preach at me? There's a whole congregation there. So apparently we stepped on some toes with that message on forgiveness, but I'm glad the Lord used it, and I hope he's using that in your life. The character of Christ is necessary because it's not just about what we do, it's how we do it. Do we do it with the right attitude? Down the hall right now, our former children's director of 26 years is watching some of our kiddos uh, I, I have witnessed a phenomena having grow, uh, worked at this church now for 17 or 18 years that there would be adults that would be from out of town and they would come to visit Victory Life to kind of reorient with their childhood. And the first question that they would ask when they would get to the, the window where the church administrator is is they'd say, is Spring still here? You know, that's her name, our former children's director. And, and it would be like, yeah, she's still here. Go on down. I'm sure she'd be happy to see you. And then you would hear this beautiful, great reunion of what was once a young disciple, someone that Spring's uh, ministry touch had been on that now was an older disciple, right, and, and who was serving Jesus, and they just wanted to connect to their old children's pastor. And I, I get that when I'm out and about, too. When I, people find out that I pastor at Victory Life, I hear all the time, is Spring still there? I'm like, well, she's retired, but, but, but yeah, she's still here. She's still serving the Lord. A tremendous impact that she's had so many kids and adults serving the Lord today because of her ministry. But I have this lasting image of her from this very room. You see, about 20 years ago now, I came home from college for Christmas, and our choir at that time decided to have a great big choir concert and party. And they thought that it would be a really good idea to have a snowball fight right here in the sanctuary. And they used these, these styrofoam snowballs that were, that, were, that were made up of thousands of little snowballs that had kind of been heat-sealed together. But when the choir began throwing them at the audience that night, they began to disintegrate. And then people stepped on them, and then there was a great big snowball fight, and it was actually rather fun. 
But then everybody left and went down the hall for games and cookies, and the entire carpet of the sanctuary was filled with little white pen-sized, or the head of a pen-sized white little balls. And so I went down the hall. I got a cookie and a little cider. But for whatever reason, I made my way back into this room, and there I saw our children's director and her husband sweeping the floor with vacuum cleaners, meticulously trying to get up what had to have been millions of little white balls. It was back in the days where it wasn't a canister, it was bags in the vacuum cleaner. So about every 90 seconds, they'd have to take the bag off and empty the bag into the trash can and then put the bag back on through that little hole. Now, I was raised partly right, and I thought, I can't leave them here to do this, so I went and got a third vacuum. And for what seemed like the next 18 hours... We vacuumed in this room, but I didn't want to leave them alone to the task, and I was home from college. I didn't have anything to do. And so we were vacuuming and vacuuming and vacuuming and vacuuming, and once in a while we'd look up at each other and just smile that knowing smile, like, who's the idiot who decided to do this, you know? And I don't know. It was a big choir department at that point, so if it was you, I apologize. But anyhow, we were vacuuming and vacuuming and vacuuming. But that image has stuck with me forever because her department was the children's department, not the choir department. Her department was the children's department. In fact, her job was not even in this sanctuary that next Sunday morning in the morning. Yet there she was, doing a job not in her department, which was not her mess, which was not her job, which was not her problem, As everybody else was celebrating Christmas down the hall, she and Gary vacuumed and vacuumed and vacuumed. I learned something very important about ministry that night. Because the greatest ministry of her life was not vacuuming, praise the Lord. The greatest ministry of her life is continuing to build young disciples and making people into fully formed uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. But the heart that was displayed that night is the heart that leads to success in ministry. The the character that was displayed that night is the character that people need to have if they're going to be effective for God. So when I say to you today that it's not just what we do, but it's reflecting the character of Christ that's necessary at the base level of who we are, that's what I mean. Being down here, the root of who we are, the very very nature of our existence reflects Jesus in such a way that when we get up here to the great big ministries of our lives, our hearts and our spirits are in the right place in order for us to be effective. Well, just like last week, Jesus said, you're not a fully trained disciple unless you have my character in terms of forgiveness. He's going to tell us today, you cannot be my messenger nor my servant unless you model this aspect of my character, because it's how God gets his will done. Are you in John chapter 13? I think you'll recognize the aspect of the character of Christ that we need to emulate today by the end of these 15 verses. John chapter 13, verse 1 and following, this is taking place the night before Jesus' death. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but after these things, afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. To which Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus says, the one who has bathed need not wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you're clean, but not every one of you. For Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not all of you are clean. Now when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you this as an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Let's do two more verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than the master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is a very interesting moment. This is a narrative of Jesus which sets up pretty much the rest of the book. Jesus does a lot of teaching between John chapter 13 and John chapter 17, but this narrative is the background and the backdrop for it all. Where the other writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have the Last Supper, John tells us about this other event that took place on that night, this foot washing. Now, this is an eyewitness account for certain. The way John describes things detail for detail, rising, sitting, pouring, washing, wrapping, all of these things meant John's sitting there that night. He's part of the proceedings. But I want to submit to you today that this story about foot washing has very little to do with foot washing. Foot washing is a vehicle here for a greater truth. Now, for those of you who would ask, why was he washing feet? I understand that might not be something that all of us have in our back pocket. Well, in the ancient Near East, people wore sandals and roads were made of dirt. And so when, when you would enter a house of anyone of prestige, anyone who was rich enough to have a servant, the servant, the lowliest servant in the house, would wash the feet of the guests there. Most often, people would need to wash their own feet. And washing of feet was not something that people did for one another among their peers. And we'll get into that later. So this is a, a shocking, shocking moment. What Jesus is after here is to tell these people that a fully trained disciple is like his master. Once again, just like he talked to about forgiveness, you're not like me unless you forgive like me. He's saying you can't be my messenger, you can't be my servant unless you humble yourselves like I've humbled myself right now. But there's a catch here. And the catch is the context. 
This foot washing is not the ultimate humiliation of Christ, is it? Less than 24 hours later, he will be humiliated upon humiliated upon humiliated. This is a symbol for something greater that is to come. Truly, Peter was not made clean, or Peter was not accepted into Christ's uh, kingdom by this foot washing. He was accepted and made clean by the work of Christ on the cross. He says to Peter that night, after these things, you'll understand. That afterword is literally after these things. Now, the foot washing was a thing, but everything that would happen to Jesus in the moments and, and hours to come were the these things that would put this foot washing into perspective. So let's go back verse by verse and make sure that we can gather and glean everything we are from this, that we are to glean from this incredible story. John wants us to know three things before Jesus gets to washing feet. The first is that Jesus' time on earth is nearly over. He tells us this in verse 1. Having loved his own, he was now going to go back to the Father, but he was going to love them to the end or to the finish might even be a better rendering of that. This is a, a, a transitional note within the book of John. In John 1 through 12, it has a pretty similar pattern. Jesus does a miracle, Jesus preaches a sermon. Jesus does a miracle, Jesus preaches a sermon. 13 and forward, there are three other things happening. First, this foot washing is going to be the backdrop against which Jesus is going to give the disciples in the church their marching orders. Have you noticed we've been in John 13, 14, 15, or 16, like a lot these last nine weeks? That's because this is where he teaches them what they are to do once he has returned to the Father. So that's, this, this is a private ministry. It's not public, it's private. He's teaching his disciples what they ought to do. Of course, then in chapters 18 and 19, we have the passion of the Christ. We have the trial, the, execute, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Christ. And then finally, we have the commissioning of the disciples in John chapter 20 and 21. His very public death is on the way, but his public ministry is over. And so verse 1 stands as a transitional note to let us know we're going in a different direction now. Verse 2 lets us know that among the people who has their feet washed that night was Jesus' betrayer. If it was shocking to hear Jesus from the cross last week saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, no less shocking is the fact that Jesus washes 24 feet that night and two of them belong to the one who is going to see to his arrest and eventual execution, someone that he has broke bread with for three years who is betraying him on a deeper level than any of us will ever be betrayed, yet he gets his feet washed that night before he leaves. You know, sometimes you face those questions in, in small group like, well, does Jesus forgive the death row murderer? Well, if Jesus can wash the feet of Judas, Jesus can forgive just about anybody, can't he? John is so, like, overwhelmed just by that aspect, he goes back to it again in, like, eight verses, right? He's going to remind us after the discourse with Peter, oh, yeah, Judas was still there. He wants you to know that Judas was there for the foot washing. That could be a whole sermon right there. It's not where we're going to stop today, obviously, but that, that right there is pretty powerful. That's the same Jesus who says, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you, doing it in real time. And then the third thing that John wants to remind us of before he has Jesus wrapping this towel around his waist and kneeling before his disciples to wash the stinky, corn-filled feet is, is to 
let us know that Jesus had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus was divine. He doesn't want us to forget it. So he wants us to know that the ministry of Jesus, which is going to end in the passion and resurrection, is about to take place, the transition. He wants us to know that even the betrayer Judas is getting his feet washed that night. And he wants to remind you that Jesus is the Son of God, the Word of God, the one that was there at the creation of the universe, the one who had a hand in spinning this whole thing out. He is the one who's going to kneel down and wash these 24 repelling feet that night. So Jesus kneels down and begins to wash the feet, and we don't know how many feet he washed before he got to Peter, but thank God for Peter. Because when he gets to Peter, Peter says, Jesus, surely you're not going to wash my feet. Meaning, don't you dare touch my feet. Because this is, this is not proprietous. This is not normal. Jesus, the teacher, the master, the son of God, should not be down on his hands and knees, washing the dirty, stinky feet of Peter. Peter goes, this is not in good order. And Jesus says to him in verse 5, what? I know you don't understand this now, but you will understand these things afterward. Okay? Afterward. Literally in the Greek, that is after these things. Not the singular event of the foot washing, but after the these things that are going to take place as Jesus says things like, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Uh, remain in me and I in you. And then finally, they're going to witness the arrest and the trial and the, the execution of Christ. After these things, you'll understand what needed to take place in my spirit, Peter? What needed to be my character that would allow me to serve you on the level that in the next 24 hours I will be bound and arrested and accused and punched and mocked and spit upon and whipped and scourged and condemned and crucified with common criminals all in a state of undress in service to you? After these things you'll understand that this is not the, the end of my humiliation, this is only the beginning. This is the easy part, loving those who love me except for the one who is unclean. This is the easy part of the next 24 hours. I'm going to be further humiliated in a way that is, is, is completely and utterly scary by human standards. It's, it's appalling by human standards. There is no pride here. And Jesus is denoting to his disciples, I'm laying down my pride now so that when I tell you to be like me, you'll recognize that nothing was too low and small for me. And this is what Jesus is conveying to the disciples that night, that his humility is how he's going to get God's will done. That's, that's what gets God's will done. It's humility. Ultimately, Humility is what, is what makes the difference. People don't get to get God's will done with pride. They don't get to get God's will done in good order. You don't get God's will done with clean hands. God's will gets done when God's people humble themselves and do that which is necessary, even if it's not theirs to do, even if it seems improprietous for their station in life, God's will gets done when humble service is rendered. 
Jesus had been trying to communicate this to his disciples for quite some time. In fact, just before the, this final night with his disciples in Matthew chapter 23, 11 and 12, the disciples were arguing amongst themselves, who's the greatest? Who's the coolest disciple? Who's the one that gets the most likes on Instagram? You know, who is this person? Does Instagram have likes? I don't even know. I could have just dated myself and all the teenagers are like, what a guy. But anyhow, anyhow, are there likes on Instagram, Jackson? You don't know either. Praise God. Anyhow, who's the greatest? And and Jesus is like, what is wrong with you people? I keep telling you I'm going to, to die a devastating death here in Jerusalem and you're worried about the greatest. And this is what he says in Matthew 23, 11, and 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself, he'll be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? You want to do great service for God? Humble yourself and start to do the things you ought not have to do. Humble yourselves and get some dirty hands. Humble yourselves and let your pride down. Humble yourselves and realize it's not going to be done in good order and on your time. It's going to be hard. Humble yourself. Jesus was going to live out his own teaching to the nth degree within 24 hours. Paul saw that Jesus had done this. And reflecting back on the cross in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and following, He says in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him. That's the humility of Christ. That's the humiliation of Christ. The passion itself. But he's reminding them hey, my passion, my death, my resurrection is for you, and it needs to play out in real fashion. It needs to be real among you, my church, as you move forward. The humility that gets God's will done needs to be demonstrated among my people. If God is going to establish his kingdom, it's when the people of God humble themselves in unimaginable ways. Jesus was about to have his dignity ripped from him. His boundaries crossed in, 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 in unimaginable ways, but it's what got God's will done. So after these things, you'll understand, says Peter. I remember I was in a small group in college, and the small group leader was thanking God for his humility. And I'm like, what? Jesus isn't humble. Jesus is is the Son of God. We worship him. We're supposed to give him glory. We're supposed to give him honor. We're supposed to give him praise. He's not humble. And he's like, well, that's a good idea, Skiff, but what about when he says he's humble and lowly in heart? I'm like, oh. And he's like, how how about that whole born in a manger thing? That looks pretty humble. I'm like, oh, oh. Put my head down in shame and let him teach the rest of the group. But we don't think about this as an aspect of our God, do we? But this is how God's will gets done. 
Jesus humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And therefore, God's will gets done. Peter says to Jesus, no, I don't understand these things, and you shall never wash my feet. Peter is just humble enough to not let Jesus wash his feet, but just prideful enough to tell his master what he's not allowed to do, right? He's just like all of us, right? I will be humble by picking my spots of humility, but this is completely out of order. And that's what most of us do. We understand that we're to be humble, and so we pick certain spots in order to be humble, and then once we've been humble, we rise back up to our full stature, and we resume the position of pride that we had before. That's just human nature. Jesus is not going to stand back up and rise to a position of pride. He's going to stand back up and go to the cross. Jesus is like, Peter, I am going to wash your feet or you have no share with me. You have no part of me. Unless you accept my humble service, no go. So Peter, still not understanding anything, is like, well, just wash me then. Hands, head, keep washing. And Jesus is like, you don't get it, and that's fine. I don't need to give you a bath here, Peter. I'm demonstrating something to you. It's literally what he's saying. You don't need a bath. You're going to be clean when I've made you clean. One of you is not clean. We're reminded that Judas is still sitting there because he's going to his death. Now, when it gets really interesting is when Jesus then stands up and it says, then he resumed his place. Rabbis would teach sitting down. So, so he sits down and he resumes his place and he says, do you know what I've done for you? And nobody answers, apparently, because he says, I've given you an example of how I expect you to interact with one another. I've given you an example that none of you are supposed to think yourself above such things. I've given you an example. Before I give you the marching orders for being my church and, and being my kingdom on earth, I'm giving you the example that there is nothing that is below you, that you ought to humble yourselves the way I have humbled myself, he says to them, which is incredible, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. I am the boss. I am your teacher, and I am the Son of God. I am the Lord, yet here I've done this for you. I mentioned when we started, peers didn't wash each other's feet. The lowliest servant in the house would wash feet. And there is no recorded instance in the ancient world of disciples washing their master's feet. There's no recorded instance even of, of a Peter washing Jesus' feet. That would have been considered humiliating for the disciple. Yet the master and the Lord washed 24 feet that night. N not like they would be today. I assume most of you shower, wear socks, and try to trim your toenails. This is the ancient world. This was a disgusting thing that he chose to do because he wanted to demonstrate to them just how important it was that nothing would be below them in order to accomplish the will of God. When he says to Peter, after these things you'll understand, by the end of the day, the next day, Peter will realize that humility on a grand scale is necessary to get the will of God done. Three takeaways from this sermon today that we can move through very quickly. It's, it's not rocket science what we're talking about. Jesus gives us directives within this passage that we have to understand in order to emulate his ministry and have his type of effectiveness. And the first is this. We have to pass the Peter test. 
we have to pass the Peter test. And the test for Peter was to humbly accept Jesus for who he is. That was the first test. Not the Jesus that he had in his mind. Not the Jesus that he had created to serve his own interests. Because this Jesus, with a towel around his waist, kneeling on the floor, washing feet, could not be the Messiah that he had envisioned. Couldn't it be? Couldn't it be? Couldn't it be? It wasn't. This humble servant is not my master. No way. No way. See, we as Christians, we need to humbly accept the humble service of our Lord. We do this at salvation. We recognize that we have dependence upon him for salvation. But so many times after salvation, we look at the humble service of the Lord, this favor and grace that he continually wants to pour out on us, and we refuse it. We, we can't bring ourselves to remain dependent upon him to make us clean. We feel somehow embarrassed to say, help me, Jesus. Somewhat embarrassed to say, forgive me again, Lord. Somewhat humiliated to, to say, God, it's me again. Folks, pride in the human race began with a desire to in, for independence from God. Humility and salvation and all the things God wants to do in and through us begin in radical dependence upon God. Pride broke the world. Humility restored it. The first place to be humble is to accept him for who he is. That it is his desire to continue to pour out his favor into our lives if we'll ask for it. Let the chorus of the redeemed never be, I'm going to do it all by myself from now on. But to pass the Peter test and say, I'll accept Jesus on his terms, knowing that he does want to forgive me, does want to help me, does want to hear from me again, does want me to be dependent upon him in every aspect of my life. I can't hold on to my pride and my dignity. I have to lay those things down and accept him in the ways that he wants to help me. The second is to humble ourselves before him. Zooms his place. He says what? I am your teacher and I am your Lord. Only if we see him as Lord will we be humble to the measure that he calls us to. Only if we recognize that he's the boss will we do the hard things that get the will of God done. If he's merely our friend, merely our pal, merely the one that we give lip service to, we won't humble ourselves the way he commands us. He has to be in the position of Lord. And that, my friends, is why the aspect of worship is so important to us. It reminds us collectively at least once a week that we need to humble ourselves before him, thanking him for his help, recognizing the work of his cross, declaring our dependence upon him, saying I'm humbling myself before you with physical acts, to remind ourselves that he is Lord because ultimately this place right here is a place from which the humility that gets God's will done can spring. Only if we see Jesus rightly will we do as he has done. 
Therefore, we need to put him in the position of Lord as often as we get the opportunity. He sits in his place and says, I'm your teacher and your Lord. Now do as I have done. And finally, the biggest imperative of this entire passage is to practice humility with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do as I have done. You'll be blessed for it. You'll be blessed for it. Do what I have done amongst yourselves to one another. So, I'd like to thank our trustees for placing out 112 basins under the portico. Today we're going to, no, we're not going to do that. I would in never, in any ways, ever mock including foot washing as part of a Christian service. I think it's beautiful. And the reason that we necessarily practice that here that most churches don't is that most interpreters have seen this as symbolic. Meaning that it's not mentioned again in the New Testament anywhere. There's no record of the New Testament church engaging in this practice. What they did do was acts of humility to serve and give to one another that were far greater than a 30 to 60 second foot washing. They loved and served one another in ways that they shouldn't have had to over and over and over again. This church community is the safe place in which we can learn the humility that Christ calls us to. This is where we get to practice our humility and sometimes be thanked for it. This is where we get to practice our humility and actually look in the eyes of the person or persons before whom we're practicing said humility and feel like there's some measure of love and reciprocity taking place. Because in the world out there that's going to need the humble service of the people of God, there might not be any thanks. There might not be any reciprocity. In fact, there probably will not. The problem for us as Christians today is it's so hard for us to practice humility. Another, we're not ever ready to humiliate ourselves further out in the world. It's why we don't witness as we should or evangelize the way we should. We haven't got comfortable with embarrassment and humiliation. We haven't got comfortable with being taken advantage of. We haven't got comfortable with doing things we ought not have to do. So when Jesus says to his disciples, do this among yourselves, he's putting them in position to learn the humility that will change the world. If we don't learn it among ourselves, there's no way to go from this place and practice it in the life-changing ways outside of this place that God has called us to. My brothers and sisters, God's will cannot get done with your pride intact. Humility takes longer than the time you had allotted. Humility will take more resources than you had planned to give. Humility will be done unto people who may never show you any measure of gratitude. To do God's work in this world, your dignity will get dinged. Your boundaries will be crossed. If you read the sermons of Jesus, you see him getting his disciples ready for depredations. So Jesus says to his disciples, 
in that safe upper room, why don't you practice self-depreciating behavior now? Why don't you devalue yourself in the eyes of men and women now? It'll get your heart ready for the big ministry. It'll get your heart ready for doing the big stuff. This attitude that we can sometimes have of, I can't believe I had to stay late. I can't believe I had to clean that up. I can't believe no one helped me. I can't believe no one thanked me. I give tithes and offerings. We pay somebody to do that. They don't have this ministry. They don't have this group. They don't have this opportunity for me anymore. This this self thing has to die among God's people, like among God's people, as we do life together and serve one another in ways that do take more of our time than we planned, that do have us doing things that sometimes don't feel fair or right. Because when we practice our humility together, It makes a difference for the big stuff. It puts our heart in the right place to do great ministry. So my question to you today is simple. Where are you inconveniencing yourself? Where are you doing things that by rights you ought not have to do? Where are you demonstrating love by your actions? Jesus says if you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed. Who knew that humiliation was the path to blessing? Apparently the Lord Jesus did. Because his cross was the greatest blessing that any of us have ever received. He had to have his heart in the right place. Is your heart in the right place today to do the ministry God's called you to? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, if there was anybody who ever entered this earth with cause for pride, it was you. You had come on an errand of mercy to save fallen men and women. You existed in glory before time began. You knew all things and could do all things. Yet you humbled yourself your entire life to give us an example of how we ought to humble ourselves You humbled yourself to bring about the salvation of humanity. Oh, Lord, every time we humble ourselves, can we remind ourselves of the truth that we are practicing humility to prepare ourselves to bring about salvation with our Savior. Every time we practice humility among ourselves, it is to to demonstrate that we're ready for bigger and better things from God. Every time we serve with all our hearts, even in places and in experiences that we don't feel like we ought to have to do, I pray we'd remember that you did the same, submitting ourselves to you as Lord. And if there's anyone here today who knows it's time to inconvenience themselves once more, maybe not to build a new ministry or to build a new existence here at the church, but maybe to find a place of humble service, just to get their heart in the right spot. I pray they'd act on it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us today? I know what you're thinking. If he preaches on the character of Christ anymore, I might have to leave the church. I know, me too. 
Me too. It's dangerous. Jesus was amazing. Jesus was awesome in his character. It's not just what he did, but it was the spirit behind how he did it. Oh, to be like Christ. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Not only for ourselves, but for the world. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. We're so glad that you worship with us this morning. We'll spend one more week on the character of Christ next week. We hope you're looking forward to coming back to worship with us. But in time this week, make sure that you're living out his character by being the forgiving and humble person that your Lord Jesus is. God bless you.